Well, good morning. I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Holy Scripture to Galatians chapter number four. Galatians chapter number four. We will depart from our study of the book of Genesis for a few weeks and give our attention to the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this morning in Galatians chapter four. We have all experienced the dreaded deadline, the time when the paper or the project is due, the final call to board the airplane, the last minute to file that tax return, the, the promise of a product while supplies last, first come, first served. We've all been up against the clock in a hurry to make it on time. And then we also all know what it's like to miss that deadline. The consequences might be embarrassment or shame, perhaps late fees or a loss of expectation, any number of things if we miss the deadline or we are late. Personally, I can't stand being late. In fact, personally, unless I'm 15 minutes early, I feel like I'm late. Anyone, anyone feel the same? Any, a few of you. This has presented a problem for our family over the years because if you invited our family to your home for dinner, let's say uh, 6 p.m., of course, my intent is to arrive at 5.45 p.m., but my wife thinks it's unfashionable to arrive so early, even rude, perhaps, to arrive that early, so our family has, at times, spent 15 minutes driving around the block, right? <laughs> Until finally we can arrive on time. And may it never be said that I was ever late. But did you know that God, in his sovereign wisdom, has a time and a timetable for everything, and he is never late. In fact, it's rightly been said that God is seldom early, He's never late, but he's always on time. And that was true for the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. The incarnation of the Son of God was in his time. And so although Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, our text this morning may not be a traditional Christmas text. We'll get to the Christmas story uh, in the weeks to come, but it's important for our knowing the divine timing and intent, I've written this at the top of your notes, the divine timing and intent of God sending his son and his spirit so that we might become his children. Let me pause for prayer and then we'll look at Galatians 4 verses 4 through 7. Let's pray. God in heaven, it is with great joy that we sing of the incarnation of the son of God, your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. And God, we marvel not over the material, human, physical matters of, of that little town of Bethlehem on that silent, holy night, but Lord, we marvel that in your eternal, sovereign, all-wise plan, you sent your Son into this world at the right time. We thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you would give us minds and hearts that are full of appreciation for that greatest of gifts, for I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Look with me, if you will, at the scripture, Galatians chapter four, verse number four, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son. What does that mean? 
It means at the very right moment, at the very exact time, God the Father sent his son, Jesus, to be born. He was not early. He was not late. Jesus' birth was on time for everything necessary in God's all-wise eternal plan of redemption was fully and finally prepared for Jesus' coming. Number one, the preparation, preparation, the sending of God's son. For centuries and centuries, God had been preparing his people Israel for the promised Messiah and at long last, at the right moment, the time was right, God sent his son. Consider some of the preparation uh, of the, the coming of Jesus. First, the religious preparation. Religious preparation. Things, uh, there, there are things here that are not in the text but rather background consideration for us this morning. These things are not in your notes. However, I would suggest three Three points of religious preparation for the coming of Jesus. The, the first, again, not in your notes, is the, the, the testimony of the Old Testament scriptures. The testimony of the Old Testament scripture had prepared for the coming of, of Jesus from the beginning. Back in Genesis 3, verse 15, God promised a seed, a son, who would come to defeat Satan and the curse of sin, namely death. From that time on, the Hebrew prophets foretold of a Messiah, an anointed one, a Christ to come and suffer. More than 300 prophetic promises recorded in the Old Testament scriptures were fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus Christ. And so think to the, the testimony of the Old Testament scriptures toward the preparation of Jesus coming. Secondly, again, not in your notes, the affirmation of monotheism. The affirmation of, of monotheism, we know that Israel always had a problem with polytheism, that is the worship of many gods. And even though Moses charged Israel there at the beginning, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the monotheism of, of Deuteronomy 6, verse number four. And, and even then, the holy law forbid Israel from fashioning gods um, like the, the gods around them and worshiping other gods. That's the idolatry of Exodus chapter 20. And Israel was always inclined to, to embrace other gods and the gods of those around them. However, after Israel's captivity in Babylon, you may not have thought about this before, but after Israel went to captivity in Babylon and returned from that exile, they were then zealously monotheistic. And for that reason, when Jesus claimed to be one with the Father, the religious leaders of his day charged him with blasphemy, for Jesus was claiming to be one with the one and only true God. But that was important, for Jesus wasn't simply a man, a religious teacher, and he wasn't another God. He was God, the very God. And Israel was prepared for that. So there's the testimony of Old Testament scripture. There's the affirmation of monotheism. Let me give you another uh, thought that, that perhaps has never crossed your mind. That would be third in preparation uh, religious preparation for Jesus coming, the establishment of synagogues. The establishment of synagogues, and while the specific origin of the synagogue is really lost to history, the general consensus of scholars is that the synagogue originated during the Babylonian exile beginning in 586 BC. 
And during Israel's time in exile in Babylon, the Jews were away from the temple in Jerusalem. They had no place to go and and to worship, to bring themselves together. And, And so they needed a place for teaching and worship. The word synagogue means to bring together or assemble. And so synagogues were established around the known world to facilitate the proclamation of the Messiah's gospel message in the first century. In our contemporary corporate speech, we we, we might say that the, the network of distribution channels had been established in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. And so when we think of the, that God sending his son in the fullness of time with this religious preparation, God had ordained in some very unique ways to prepare the Hebrew people and the world for the Messiah's coming. Also, cultural preparation. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son culturally The world was prepared, it was in 350 BC, a man named Alexander the Great conquered the known world in 12 years and then influenced that world with Greek philosophy, Greek art, Greek literature, Greek architecture, and the Greek language. Linguistically, Koine Greek or common Greek was was universal and ubiquitous. And the manners and the customs of the Greeks was, was common, standardized across the world and it was the ubiquity of that Greek culture that made the timing of Jesus' birth so effective for the message of the gospel to be proclaimed. Cultural preparation, how about this? Beyond religiously and culturally, how about political preparation? The Roman Empire. The Roman Empire in the first century provided some of the 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 greatest economic and political stability that the world had ever known up to that time. They they instituted what was called Pax Romana, or the Peace of Rome. And people could travel freely and safely throughout the empire on the magnificent network of roads that had been built. And all of the political leaders were in place just as God had ordained for this specific time for the coming of the Messiah. You say, well, Pastor, I appreciate that, but in fact, I object. You may object some cognitive dissonance in your mind thinking of the preparation for the sending of God's son because the circumstances that preceded and surrounded Jesus' birth hardly seem to point to preparation because it seems that God sent Jesus at the wrong time. For Jesus was rejected. He was despised, he was rejected, he was crucified. One might contend that God sent Jesus at the wrong time because it was an unmitigated disaster. Perhaps, you're getting ahead of me, hold that thought for a moment. Galatians 4 verse four tells us that God in his sovereign wisdom And according to his plan, according to his perfect timetable, sent his son. Galatians 4, verse number four. Now there's the preparation, how about this, number two, the particulars. The particulars of sending his son, the the birthing of God's son. Verse number four, Galatians 4, verse four. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, how so? Born of a woman born of a woman. This speaks to his humanity, his humanness, physically born of a woman. You say, but there's nothing novel about that. Every human being who has ever been born has been born of a woman. One thing that we all have in common this morning is we all have 
a mother. We were all born physically at some point of a, of a woman, but there's more to the biblical designation of born as a woman in Galatians 4 verse 4 because listen to what commentator has said. At the time, it was customary to speak of being born of a man, a custom to which the genealogies of the time bear witness, that is, genealogies of everyone other than Jesus. Genealogies would name the men and trace each generation by naming the men. We're familiar with this. So-and-so begot so-and-so, who begot so-and-so, who begot so-and-so. And the genealogies would cite the men. However, in this case, as foretold by the prophet Isaiah, this child was born without the seed of a man, born of a woman. He was the son of God the Father. And so, in a very unique, unique, exclusive way, God sent forth his son. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, and added to that phrase, born of a woman, there's a, a second particular characteristic, born under the law. Born under the law, what does that mean? Born under a woman speaks of Jesus' humanity, his humanness, but born under the law speaks of Jesus' Jewishness. You see, Jesus was born as a Jew as a Hebrew, and he was obligated to keep the written requirements of the Mosaic law. Think about this. From his circumcision eight days after his birth to his celebration of Passover with his disciples just before his death, every part of Jesus' life was under the law. And Jesus lived as a Jew under the ceremonial and the civil laws of Judaism, he was subject to its rewards and its penalties. Of course, we know the good news is that while the law demanded righteousness, Jesus fulfilled it perfectly and fulfilled the demands of the law. But in the, in the greater context here of Paul's letter to the Galatians, there is a theme of law. And here we are told that Jesus came to fulfill the law in, in the letter to the Galatians so that we might have liberty from that law. In fact, that was his purpose in coming. Look at verse number five. Verse five, the, the purpose statement, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And so this is number three, the, the purpose. The purpose of God sending Jesus, the adopting as God's son. First, there is redemption. Jesus came for the redemption of those under the law. Not for revolution, for those to, to throw off that law. And that was a point of initial confusion. They expected the Messiah to come to conquer, to overthrow Roman oppression. But Jesus didn't come as a revolutionary at this point. He came as a suffering servant to redeem those under the law. You see it there in verse number five. And the first century idea of redemption was the liberation of a slave through the purchase of a slave. And slaves could become free men if they could purchase their own freedom or if someone else would purchase that freedom on their behalf. And God's purpose in sending Christ was to purchase us, to pay the price, to suffer the curse that comes from the law. Now, let's do a little bit of homework here now this morning and look across the page to chapter three, Galatians three, verse 13. 
Christ has redeemed us, chapter three, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ. Who's that? That's us. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You say, well, if the law was a curse, then what good was it? What was the purpose or the point of the law? Look ahead now to chapter three, verse 19. Chapter three, verse 19, what purpose then does the law serve? Well, that's a fair question. Verse 19, it was added because of transgressions, because of sin in the world, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Jump to verse 24. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Now look again at our primary text, verses four and five. Galatians four, verses four and five. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to redeem those who are under the law. I hope that you're so grateful this morning that God sent his son to save us from law because we were unable, we are unable to save ourselves. In fact, Jesus told the Pharisees in, in his Sermon on the Mount, unless you're, or the, the, the listeners uh, during his Sermon on the Mount, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and so it's not our own merit, it's not our own righteousness, it's not our own law keeping or good works, we might reference them, but rather it's Jesus Christ who came to redeem us from that slave market of sin and the demands of the law, to redeem us from the law, but secondly, then, letter B, to adopt us. It's adoption, this is the purpose of God sending his son to adopt us. You see it there in verse number five, that we may receive the adoption as sons. Now, the idea of adoption, we know, is making someone your child, giving your family name to one who was not born into the family. I'm mindful of those in our church family who have adopted others into their family. Perhaps you've been adopted yourself. It's a beautiful picture of God's grace toward us. When one takes a child who is not their own, who can offer nothing, and chooses that child, gives them the rights and the privileges of their name, and makes them a son or a daughter. And that's why God sent his son, so that he might adopt us into his family. We who were once sons of the devil can become a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. First John 1 promises, and as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe on his name. And that's the key, folks. Believing on his name, trusting in his person, in faith alone, by God's grace alone, apart from any merit of our own. 
Some more homework for us. Turn back to chapter two. Galatians two, verse number 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, we can't be, we tried that, failed, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even when we believed in Jesus, Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. You add to that chapter two, verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if the righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If we could achieve and earn and merit our own salvation by self-righteousness, by good works, by the law, then Christ's death was in vain. But we are no longer slaves. We have been redeemed. That's letter A, subpoint letter A there, redemption. We are no longer orphans. We've been adopted. That's subpoint letter B, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And folks, this is the Christmas story. This is the gospel story. It's one of redemption and adoption and justification and salvation in Jesus Christ by grace alone through faith alone. Don't trivialize the Christmas story with pictures of a nativity. But think bigger than that. It's not shepherds and sheep and straw and stars. It's the redemption and the adoption of sinful man into the family of God. That's big, very big, but there's more. There's more, and I'm so glad that there's even more than these great gospel truths. Look at Galatians 4, verses six and seven. And because you are sons, you've been redeemed, you've been adopted because of this, verse six, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. This is perhaps why sometimes in giving a salvation testimony, we we might say, I asked Jesus into my heart. Where does that language come from? Perhaps from, from this text. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son and if a son, an heir of God through Christ. Folks, beyond the nativity, beyond the incarnation of the Son of God, um, there is more that God did. I, I, I don't have this printed for you in your notes and I don't have it to project on the screen, but, but I would say this, God didn't just send his son, he also sent his spirit. And you might write this down. God didn't just send his son, he also sent his spirit. And follow this. God's intent was to secure our sonship by sending his son. And to assure us of that sonship by sending his spirit. God's intent was to secure our sonship by sending his son. And to assure us of that sonship by sending his spirit. Which brings us to number four, the privileges. The privileges are living as God's son. The living of God's son. What does all of this mean for us? What does the Christmas event, the incarnation of the son of God, in the fullness of time God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us, to adopt us, 
For what end, to what purpose, what benefit, the privileges? And I would ask you to follow me now to Ephesians chapter one. It's just a page or two to the right in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter one, and I would like to read an extended portion of scripture together, perhaps one of the most, the the richest scripture passages in all of the Bible. And and I want you to be looking for some of the same themes that we've just talked about, we've just considered. Here are the themes. The, The fullness of time, redemption, adoption, the Holy Spirit, and ultimately now, the privileges we have of being a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ, okay? I'm gonna read Ephesians 1, verses three through 14. It's a single sentence in the Greek language. I'm gonna read it without comment or commentary, and you look for these themes. The fullness of time, redemption, adoption, the Holy Spirit, and the privileges we have. Verse number three, Ephesians 1, verse three, blessed, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. I put in parentheses there, privileges. These are the blessings, the privileges. I said I wasn't gonna comment, right? Sorry about that. He's blessed us with these privileges, these spiritual blessings because of Christmas in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to what? To adoption as sons because of Christmas. By Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. There's more people. Verse seven, in him. You ready? We have redemption. We talked about that in Galatians 4, verses four through seven. Because of the Christmas story, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times can we say in his time, at the right time, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that he who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Do you remember what I said just a a few moments ago? God's intent was to secure our sonship by sending his son, and God's intent was to assure us of our sonship by sending his Spirit. Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. One of the great privileges of living as a child of God, a son or a daughter of God is the privilege then to call him our father, this adoption 
idea, and it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God that allows us and enables us to call him our Abba or our Papa, or if you'll allow, Daddy. That was the first word that was often learned and spoken by a Hebrew child, Abba. It's perhaps the first word or words that that your own children learned, Daddy. And so it is that the Christmas story, the purpose of God adopting us, redeeming us and adopting us as his sons so that we might have the privilege of calling the creator of the universe, the God of heaven and earth, our Father. One more scripture text to get to. I think we have time. Romans chapter eight. Romans eight. I know I'm keeping you busy this morning, but I wanna connect these dots for us. Romans eight. Let me read verses 12 and following. Same themes here. Romans 8, verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Here it is. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him that we may be glorified together. And folks, this is the privilege of sonship. And so remember, perhaps, the greatest of all of the Christmas scripture texts is in fact Galatians 4, verse number seven. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Merry Christmas. It means so much more than a nostalgic, sentimental, romantic, silent, holy nights, stars and such. We are no longer slaves. We are sons and as sons we are heirs. And all of this has been in his time. Folks, we celebrate the birth of Jesus this time of year and in doing so there are a lot of deadlines that we must remember. Of course there is last minute shopping that needs to be done. There's wrapping and baking and travel and all the rest. The family Christmas card needs to get into the mail, right? In time for its recipients. But there's one thing that cannot wait any longer. And that is your adoption into the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time for you to call on the name of the Lord by faith in believing that God the Son was born to die for your sin, for my sin, to adopt us into his family and to make us a joint heir with Christ. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law, to redeem us from the law 
that we might receive the adoption as sons. And having been adopted, we are no longer slaves, but sons. And as sons, heirs of God through Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for choosing us as your children and making us joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us this season as we gaze upon the babe in the manger to remember the Christ of the cross. Lord, I pray that you would help us to to rejoice, to celebrate in the inheritance that we share with Jesus Christ. Lord, perhaps there are some here this morning or under the sound of my voice who have not personally called on the name of the Lord in faith, believing. I pray that by your grace you'll draw them to yourself and grant them the faith to believe so that they too might be a son or a daughter. For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.